when we all face difficult times, challenging times, just like these economic times that we're facing now. Individuals, families, and institutions begin to take stock on what are their assets and what are their liabilities. We all begin to reorder our priorities. So tough times are not always bad because they help us all to begin to focus on what is productive in our lives and what is not. What is important in life and what is not. And by all, I mean all, except the government, of course. (laughs) But taking time to evaluate one's priority is of vital importance. Taking time to examine what are the real assets in life and what are the real liabilities is very important. And in chapter 3 of the epistle to the Philippians, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul does with his spiritual life. I want you to turn with me, please. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Because the Apostle Paul, though he's in prison, he was facing things that worse than prison. His biggest challenge were those people who are the enemies of the cross, and they're out to destroy him in order to destroy the gospel message that he's preaching. They're the ones who are running around saying, yes, you can save by Jesus plus circumcision. Whenever the word plus comes in, it is a false gospel. He only saved through Jesus Christ. And he was facing these tough times dealing with these people. He was facing hard time refuting those who were seeking to destroy the message of the cross and the message of grace and the message of faith. So he took time to assess his spiritual assets and his liabilities. He took time to reiterate what is really important and what is not. He took time to identify what is of value and what is sheer useless baggages in life. And we all have those. (laughs) I know I do. Useless baggages that constantly need to be purged. He took time to focus on what truly brings him joy and what only can bring him pride and boasting. And uh, by that way, he leaves us a great role model to emulate. I think every believer needs to do that. But especially when you lose your joy, when you begin to lose your joy, when you're lacking joy, you need to follow the example of the Apostle Paul. You need to do a major audit, spiritual audit of your life. Find out where are your priorities have been focused. And that is important. You know why? Because you're going to discover that the reason for your lack of joy is the things that you thought were your assets are really your liabilities. You will discover that what you think of as the object of your confidence, as the object of your security, and the object of your satisfaction are actually causing you a loss of joy. 
and causing you to devalue the joy of the Lord. You will discover that the very things that you're proud of are really nothing but unnecessary baggage in life, baggage that is keeping you from being continuously living in a state of the joy of the Lord. We are literally halfway in a series of messages on joy from the epistle to the Philippians. And I'm calling this series of messages about joy, it is contagious, pass it on. We saw, first of all, that this joy can be caught. You get it when you're saved as part of the package of your salvation. Secondly, I pointed out to you how to keep the joy in your life, then how to exhibit the joy in your life, then how to pass that joy onto others. And today I want to talk to you about how to value this joy how to value it in your life. Because very often, from our experience, all of us, we do not comprehend the value of something or someone until we lose it. Right? That's just the way things are. And the Apostle Paul is doing everything within his power in order to get his Philippians friends to begin to value the joy of the Lord. As I told you before, the word joy is mentioned so many times in this epistle. He's doing everything that he can so that he may warn them not to fall in the traps that are constantly being set before us in order to cause us not only the loss of joy, but the devaluing of that joy. And that's why this passage is very important. Listen carefully. You do not have to be a seminary graduate to know that our flesh that is going to be buried and turned into ashes when our spirit that is redeemed, our soul, is going to soar into heaven and enter into a glorified body by which we'll be able to praise the Lord all the time in heaven. That flesh is constantly working hard in getting us to devalue the joy of the Lord. You don't have to know theology to understand that the world is constantly conspiring together from the media to the market to the workplace to everywhere you go, uh, conspiring to get us to devalue the joy of the Lord. And then Satan, behind the scene, stirring up both the world and the flesh to get us to devalue that joy. Did you know that for every Christian value, there is a counterfeit value in the world. Did you know that? For every Christian value, for example, we have joy, the joy of the Lord. They have happiness. We have love in the Christian life. They have illicit sex. We Christians have trust in the promises of God regardless of the circumstances. They have material security. While Christians have peace that does not make sense in the midst of difficult times, they would have self-gratification. And that is why happiness is a temporary thing. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is permanent and is lasting. Happiness depends on what happens to you, but joy emanates from your trusting in the promises of God. One of the saddest things in my life as I look around and see Christians 
who have fallen in the world's trap. They think like the world. They behave like the world. They have devalued the joy of the Lord like the world. And they have exchanged the joy of the Lord for what they think will bring them happiness. No wonder there are just as many depressed and discouraged and anxious people in the church as there are outside of the church. It might not come as a surprise to you to know that joy is deeply connected to mature knowledge of the Word of God. You cannot separate them, try what you may. Joy in your life, joy in my life is deeply connected with mature knowledge of the promises of God in the Word of God. And that is why Psalm 19.8 says the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Psalm 119.14 said, I rejoice in following your statues as one rejoices in great riches. And the Lord Jesus himself said in John chapter 15 verse 10, If you obey my commands, that my joy may be in you and that your joy will be complete. You see, obedience and joy must go together. Disobedience will make you a joyless Christian. And that is why it is not surprising also that this generation of Christians who have undermined the importance of biblical doctrine, who have devalued the biblical truth, have lost their joy and behaving just like the people of the world. Hey, Mirad, on this one. If you read the Bible hardly ever, if you read it occasionally, if you read it when you have time, sooner or later, your joy will sag. And then, soon after that, you'll begin to devalue that precious gift that the Lord Jesus wants every one of His children to have, the joy of the Lord. And that's why Paul begins in chapter 3, he begins by telling the Philippians to watch out for those people. Who are these people? These are the people who are undermining the truth of the Word of God. They are the ones who are devaluing the authority of the Scripture. And whenever that happens, there is no joy. In fact, he uses strong language. He calls them dogs. But before you jump up and down, please just relax. Let me explain to you. He is not referring to your cute little schnutz or whatever it is that you have, your pet at home. You know, that's not the kind of dogs he's talking about. You see, dogs back then were so vicious. They were so ferocious. And they would attack an unsuspecting pedestrian. I mean, they would be like hyenas or, or, or like the Australians will, will call a dingo. They were ferocious dogs. And that's what he is saying. He is saying here, be very careful, please. He's literally pleading with everyone, be careful of those who attack the importance of the Word of God. Be careful of those who undermine the importance of biblical authority. Be careful of those who deny the authority of the Scripture as the inspired, God-breathed Word. Be careful of those who will lure you away from obeying the Word of God using smooth and soothe words and psychobabble. Watch out! For those who come to you with fancy ideas and enticing philosophies and thoughts that are appealing to our flesh. 
be very careful. Why? Why is that important? Because that will not only make you lose your joy, but you will end up devaluing the joy of the Lord. Listen, joy and obedience are two sides of the same coin. It cannot be separated. Undermine obedience to the authority of the Word of God, and you will become a joyless person. Place confidence in anything or anyone other than the Word of God, and you will become a joyless person. And when you become a joyless person soon, you'll devalue the importance of that great gift, the joy of the Lord. And that is why Paul goes on to say, verse 4, Philippians 3, 4. Let me just tell you what, what he's saying, okay? He is saying, I've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt to prove it. <laughs> That's basically the bottom line. <laughs> That's what he's saying here. He's saying, I used to be a victim to their deception. I used to think like them. I used to talk like them. I used to think that my joy comes from my pride of my efforts of doing things. I thought my pride comes from having brownie points with God by doing little things here and there. I used to think that my joy comes from my following certain rituals. I used to think that my joy would come from accomplishing certain levels of service. He said, I used to think that. I was like them. I used to think that my joy would come from wanting people to point at me and say, Ah, look at him. Here he goes, a great man. He keeps all of the little laws, all of the rituals. Look at him. No wonder Jesus said, Be careful, for it is word to you if you want the world to speak well of you. Whatever the world praises, it's a watered-down message. It's not the message of the gospel. Because Paul is saying here, when I got to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that I was saved by grace alone, all of that stuff was useless baggage. The stuff that I used to think, boy, this is important, no longer the case. His internal audit that he was doing in his life as he looked at that former list of all the assets, all the gains, all the profits, he said they were lost. They became rubbish in comparison with Christ anytime. Paul never denies the fact that all this useless baggage that he used to think that they're good and important things and that he's going to earn his salvation, that he's going to earn his way to God, he never said that that did not bring him social respectability. It did that. He never said that it did not bring him cultural acceptability. He did not say it did not bring him religious popularity. It did all of that. But you've got to choose. Do you want that, or do you want to hear the precious words from the mouth of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant? You can't have both. So he places all of his assets in the prophet's column. But then he compares them with Christ. <laughs> and he said, in comparison with Christ, all of my prophets, all of my assets are nothing but liabilities. Look at this very impressive list. It's an impressive list. Ritually, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Man, when you get done on the eighth day, you made it. 
religious pedigree, part of the covenant. Not only that, he was a Benjamite, which is one of the most respectable tribe in Israel, the highest of tradition, Hebrew of the Hebrews. His blood was not mixed up and tainted with Gentiles. (laughs) The purest of all religious orthodoxy, Pharisee. I mean, sincerest of all sincerity. He was persecuting the church. Don't ever forget that Paul was terrorizing the church of Jesus Christ. And he thought that was part of his brownie points. That's how he's going to get to heaven. He was so sincere. And have you heard how people say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? Have you heard that? I said, yeah, sincerely wrong. (laughs) The highest of all legalism kept all the outward rituals. He kept them. You cannot get a more impressive list of righteousness of somebody who can really make it on his own, like this list. Oh, but look at verse 7, because he quickly says that this goal turns into quicksand <laughs> when he met Jesus, when he met Jesus. You see, as soon as he met Jesus, when he understood that his salvation is by grace alone, and the rest of his life is to obey Jesus, this list turned from asset into liabilities. And I was trying to think, how, how can I bring to you, living in the 21st century, the depth, the intensity by which Paul is really trying to communicate this message? And, and I, I thought of several examples. And I, I thought if you, a person who spent your life, and you have built up the most impressive investment portfolio, I mean, it's fantastic. And then you discover... It's not worth the paper it was written on. <laughs> it's not far-fetched. All the investors with Madoff realize that. That's what Paul's saying. Man, I did all of these things. Worthless. Or think of somebody who worked hard to earn a higher degree, and day and night, every waking month, and then to discover that the school he's going to, she's going to, is not accredited, <laughs> and that degree is worthless. Just think about that. Or think, imagine in somebody who poured his heart and his soul in building a magnificent house only to discover that it's built on quicksand. Or imagine a spouse who's invested his or her every waking moment in a marriage and family only to hear these dreaded words years later, I don't love you anymore. Paul is saying, I did all of this thinking that this is all going to get me to heaven. I thought all of this is going to get me. And he realized, compared to Christ, they are rubbish, trash. Word is stronger than that. Somebody made a statement that really summarizes our culture today, expresses well. He said, you know, I don't mind a rat race as long as I get a little bit more cheese. <laughs> That's where we are. In fact, I read recently about a pastor, a member of his congregation came to see him and because he lost some investments. And, and he said to his pastor, he said, Pastor, I lost everything. And the pastor thought for a moment, and, and then he said to him, he said, I am so sorry you lost your wife. And before the man could even react, he said, and I'm also sorry that you lost your character. And before the man could say anything, he said, I'm also sorry you lost your salvation and you're going to hell. 
And the next, before the man could even breathe a word, he said, and I'm also sorry you lost. And he mentioned a couple of assets, major assets he still got left. And the man finally said, Pastor, stop. I haven't lost any of these things. He said, I thought you told me you lost everything. In many ways, this shock kind of reminded this dear man that those losses are not really losses at all. And Paul said, all of these things on the profit ledger, on the asset side of the ledger, they were transferred to the liability side as soon as I got Jesus. Because when I got Jesus, I got everything that really matters. I love what John Wesley once said. He was on his way to preach somewhere, and they caught up with him. And they said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, you must come back. You must cancel your speaking engagement. Your house is on fire. He said, no, I'm going to continue on going to preach. He said, God's house is on fire. He can take care of it. <laughs> it used to amaze me. Every time I try to share Christ with somebody, he said, oh, well, you know, it's a golden rule. You know, I said, if I live by the golden rule, I'll be all right. I said, do you live by the golden rule? No. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I'm trying to. I'll be all right. No, you won't. But you know what? The best illustration I can use in trying to describe the difference between human righteousness and the righteousness that only Jesus gives you is like playing Monopoly. The money is very colorful. The game is enjoyable. But only a fool would take that monopoly money and try to purchase groceries with it. Imagine the shock of so many people who think that if they try hard or be good, they're going to go to heaven. It's like somebody taking monopoly money and try to buy groceries with it. It won't work. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and His salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. And you can receive it today. If you have never received His salvation, you can come to Him, and you can ask Him to forgive your sins in order to give you the gift of eternal life. Beloved, this man Paul understood true assets and liabilities. In fact, it was Thomas Edison, the great inventor, when his laboratories in New Jersey were burned to the ground on a December night on 1914. The next morning, he was walking around, still smoldering, fire, still rubbles everywhere. And Edison was 67 years old at the time. And as he looked around and saw everything is burned to the ground, he said, Thank God, all our mistakes are now burnt up. We can start again. We can start again. And Paul is saying, all of the prophets that I thought were gains turned out to be rubbish in comparison to the righteousness that only Jesus Christ can give me. Look at verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And from the moment Paul discovered that his assets were really liabilities, he developed one overriding goal in life. The highest of all goals, the greatest of all goals, is found in verse 10. And here's the Apostle Paul's goal in life. I'm saying more about this in the next message. He is saying, all I want in life now is to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Why? Listen to me, because only 
Christ's resurrection power can satisfy our empty hearts. Only Christ's resurrection power can defeat all of temptations all the time. Only Christ's resurrection power can turn my trials into triumph. Only Christ's resurrection power can exchange my weakness for His strength. Only Christ's resurrection power can exchange my failures for His fullness. Only Christ's resurrection power can exchange my impotence for His glory. Amen. Amen. He said, even in suffering, even in suffering, it draws me closer to the Lord. How? Because my suffering gives me a fresh comprehension of His suffering for me. Beloved, I can tell you, I did not do much growing when I'm on the mountaintop. All of my growth taking place when I'm in the valley. Only when I'm broken do I grow in Christ. I've never known any good crop that can grow well on top of the mountains. Oh, but you can get the best crops in the valley. And in the fellowship of the suffering with Christ, and, and gives you a new and fresh appreciation of His suffering for you, and you will grow like Topsy. I don't know where you place your confidence. Only you can answer that. I don't know what accomplishments that you are proud of. Only you know that. I don't know what list of assets that causes you satisfaction. Whatever they are, when they are compared with Christ, they are liabilities. They are trash. They are rubbish. But here's the most important thing as I conclude. Listen carefully. I think most of us know that when we go to heaven, we're going to be saying, oh, gosh, did I think these things were important? Oh, my God. Did I? Here's what I was worried about this. And when you compare, of course, in the presence of the Lord and glory, and, and you can say, how could I be that foolish thinking that these things are important? That's going to happen in heaven. But you don't have to wait to get to heaven to discover that. <laughs> You can discover it now. You can comprehend it now. You can begin to value the joy of the Lord now. And, oh, Lord, only you know where each of us are. Only you know exactly where to point the finger of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Only you know that which caused us to devalue our joy. And you're a great God. You're a gracious God. You're a loving God. And you want us not only value this joy, but pass it on. May you wake up your church, your people, before it's too late. Father, we cry to you that you will wake us up to what is important and what is of value protect us from missing out and falling in the trap of the flesh and the world and the devil and valuing that which the world values instead of swimming against the stream. Teach us to know what is rubbish, what is useless baggage, 
And oh Lord, we have a bunch of those. Cleanse us, purge us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.